Today's show, it's Lord of the Rings, the animated series. Did you even know this was a thing? Three films over four years. Two networks, one studio theatrical release. It wasn't supposed to work, but it did, okay? And we're going to talk all about it today and, and how the Lord of the Rings was released in order, by the way, you went from Hobbit to Return of the King, you got them all, but it was the most um, kind of wonderful mistake that ever happened, but we're going to discuss how it all went down, how it worked, and more importantly, how Marvel was like, we're getting in on this. We are getting in on this fantasy Lord of the Rings dollar, even one of the comics. Finally, Weird World, Warriors of the Shadow Realm, I'm going to talk about it on one of them. It says, if you love J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, this comic's for you. So we're going to get all the way into that today. But first, before we go, I have to tell you that uh, in this episode, it's, this is the greatest part about doing a, a, a cold open, is I can tell you, I'm going to make a mistake. Uh, early on in the, in, in the episode, I erroneously identify uh, the the Wolverine film being uh, directed by James McAvoy, where that's not the case at all. That, so so that, that that is, James McAvoy did not direct the Wolverine. There, I got it out of the way. So now you can see the mistake before it comes. Enjoy this episode as much as I did making it for you. Here we go, another new episode of Rob Observations. Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. You are listening to another edition of Rob Observations. And uh, today we are going to have a blast recounting just this uh, really, in, in today's terms, insane uh, sequence of events that led to an insane release schedule of popular uh, uh, fantasy novels that would ultimately go on to find life in live action uh, 30 years later in 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 and uh, capture the world's imagination. But those Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings adaptations were the second at bat for this entire franchise. It was the second time they had reached screens and, and theaters. And, you know, as I look back and examine this, what I've always said, this magical time when I was growing up. And and again, I just, uh, I'm so excited by anybody who I can ever connect uh, when we, when we talk about this time in the shared period, but, but it is increasingly becoming the dark ages because so many of you are going to learn about what I'm about to tell you about today for the first time. There is uh it's inevitable when I share it with people, even in their thirties, they're baffled by this. They don't know that these movies existed. So I'm going to pause right there uh, because the, 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 the subject matter of The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, and The Return of the King in their animated forms that came about in the drum roll, please, you get ready for it, the 70s, in the 70s, is, is uh, that that's clearly what we're going to discuss and the very strange way that it came together because consider that The Lord of the Rings animated uh, came across 
in, in front of my eyeballs and I went and I, I made sure I, I did the proper research on this. This one, I really wanted to make sure I got my dates, you know, together. But so 1977, it was about six months after Star Wars, The Hobbit arrives. One year later, 1978, The Lord of the Rings animated arrived. And then two years after that in 1980, The Return of the King aired. Okay? That's three films, two different production houses, two different networks, and one movie theater. Literally, The Hobbit was on one was on net, one network. The Return of the King, the closing chapter is on another. And the Lord of the Rings is a theatrical release by a different production company than gives you The Hobbit and Return of the King. So literally, The Lord of the Rings and The Two Towers are the two subjects, are the two novels that are adapted from Tolkien's work in, in The Lord of the Rings theatrical. One year prior, you get The Hobbit. And one year after, two years after The Hobbit, I mean, The Lord of the Rings theatrical, you get The Return of the King. So that sets the stage but consider this think about how fandom was so, has was so in, in engaged and and look marvel marvel slash disney really did a great job in setting up the dissatisfaction that fans would inevitably have with some of the fox material uh when they had dominion over so many of the marvel characters and uh days of future past I know for a fact uh, the people inside the MCU admired. They were shocked. They, they knew that Fox was starting to get it. They were looking at the products, the, the, the results of Iron Man and uh, obviously the Avengers, Iron Man 2, Cap, Thor, and they put that same sort of uh, dedication to, to giving something that was more reflective of the comic books and they produced Days of Future Past, which I think to uh, most people is a top two, top three Fox X-Men movie. I, I You'd be hard-pressed to not, in my opinion, put in the top two. But, you know, um, top three, it's got to be there. It's so well done. It was, uh, it maybe merged the cast a little too fast because First Class in 2011 was just the first taste of this new cast led by James McAvoy and uh, Jennifer Lawrence and the rest. But uh, the, the the idea of putting Patrick Stewart and McAvoy, you know, uh, in the same film and Hugh Jackman being the Wolverine that unites the two casts, it was very thrilling. It was, uh, I, I thought it was very well done. And, and I am a huge Days of Future Past. Do I wish that they showed other aspects of Days of Future Past? Of course I do. But I thought they took the really big, broad strokes and they... Um, made a really great looking and 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 uh fun uh adventurous film i mean i i i i really enjoy it i've i've devoured it i i put days of future past above 50% 50% at least of the mcu offerings but it was around that time that they that that uh i trust me the executives were getting nervous at disney that that uh they needed more misses from fox than they needed hits this is the expression of an executive to me during this period because they desperately wanted the Fantasy Four and the X-Men to come back. They wanted them in the worst, worst way. Of course, now we know that they got them, but we know that the the entire uh, kind of campaign was, you know, bring Fantastic Four and X-Men home. They're now, Disney is now the home to, you know, what was 
being called the MCU. And, and we're not even talking about Spider-Man at Sony, which again is going to be its own entire podcast soon enough because what's going on at Sony is, I, I think, by every measure, it's very exciting. It's very exciting what's going on at Sony because like Fox was finding it in 2014, because look, by then you're getting more, um, more, more hits than misses. If you just start at 2014 and go to the, the to the final X-Men movie, which I believe is 2019 with Dark Phoenix, uh, you get Days of Future Past, Deadpool, Deadpool 2, and uh, Logan. Four uh, hits, and then you got to go Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix were compromised. They weren't as good. They, they were not up to the quality of those, those four films. I actually think James McAvoy's first swing at Wolverine is is a very very good effort. Um, I think I think three quarters of the film is really good. Remember, I, I got to be on me and my friends, and I don't know about you and your friends. And we're gonna get back to the Hobbit and all that stuff in a minute. But I'm setting the table here for a reason. My, we thought that the original, the 2008 up to 2012. MCU, they always ran out of steam. It seemed like those movies in the third act got the, the lights got turned off. It, everything was hard to see. It, it felt like the CGI budgets ran out because the first act and the second act of something like Iron Man or something like um, Iron Man 2 or even Captain America, they were so uh, refined and well done and they, 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 uh, they, the, the, they moved well. The pacing was strong. But at the end... It always felt like they ran out of some money. In the, in the Avengers, it, it felt like the, the, the first act, I still think, is is dodgy. Uh, when, when Thor, Iron Man, and Captain America first meet, which is what just literally completely 100% looks like a sound st- stage with bad mist and their costumes aren't quite right. And when Loki is in the opera house, I, I really thought that the movie was was doomed. It didn't look right. It didn't feel right. And then suddenly they get to the helicarrier. And from that point on, when the Avengers arrive at the helicarrier and uh, then they're attacked and there's the entire action sequence through the helicarrier and, and Cap, you know, stopping the, 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 the crash and then we pivot and then we go to the Battle of New York. It's a totally different movie. It's like, it, it, it's like they, they, they found a, a different gear, but, but it was the reverse of all of the Marvel movies up until then. And so when I say to you that I think three quarters of a Fox X-Men movie was really good, at that point, that was just mimicking, mirroring what was going on in what I felt in the MCU, which always felt like they didn't have enough money to finish. Then when Disney bought them, the checks got bigger, the third acts got bigger, and everything kind of, uh, the, 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 the stuff that haunted Iron Man 1, 2, Thor, Cap, Iron Man, that was all... That was all yesteryears. I mean, Winter Soldier from from open to end is an amazing film. Still blows my mind. My favorite Marvel film. So, X-Men, Fox, I thought I felt that they had started to get it together in 2014. They still let a couple of misfires through, but they were getting it right more than they were getting it wrong. But the 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 then there's the Fantastic Four film. Something happened on that, that the, the 2015 film with its compromise uh man that that was rough and and so again you you got to put that in the miss ledger so you got four versus three again the fans got queued up and they're like you know give them back to marvel fox sell them back to disney give them back reunite them 
Think of the chaos and the noise that that created. Now, you know, you go, oh, it's so great that they're all restored. They're all with one person. They're all with one studio. Well, they're all being the X-Men and the Fantastic Four catalogs. Again, Sony is having some exciting stuff going going on. They're, they're finding their voice. It, it feels like uh, the characters alone are enough to pack the kids in. Uh, I don't think either Venom movie is is terribly well made, but they are entertaining and entertaining matters, okay? That is my full sentence. So if you're going to say the sentence, say the full sentence. I don't think they're particularly well made. I think there's compromises, but I think there's performances in it and those movies are entertaining. But above all else, Venom is a compelling character. Carnage, people love them. They love them. And they've shown up for them in great numbers. Pre-pandemic, and in pandemic. And then, of course, No Way Home is just the monster uh, that we all anticipated, maybe even bigger than anyone anticipated. And then you've got all of these offshoots that are incoming from Sony. So I think they're going to really, you know, continue to have fun. Sony feels like they're having fun. Into the Spider-Verse was really the, the, the precursor to what we got with No Way Home. Circling back to these fantasy films, what I'm trying to say is you had a much more divisive situation with these fantasy films. The Hobbit and Return of the King are produced by an animation company called Rankin Bass. R-A-N-K-I-N slash B-A-S-S. These guys uh, did a ton of animation and these were kind of their their signature pieces of the time. For, for The Hobbit to air in 1977, the production was started many years earlier. And uh, this was during a period of time that we're not going to segue too much into it, but but if, if you go ahead and research it, The Hobbit was seen to have been in the public domain. That is how Rankin and Bass justified even making the movie in the first place. The, 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 uh, the, the Tolkien estate protested it and tried to get it not to happen in bo- both instances, The Hobbit and Return of the King. But you know, money talks. There were settlements. The lawsuits were settled out of court and they were able to go forward. Rankin Bass really wanted The Hobbit, The Hobbit being the precursor to the whole, you know, Lord of the Rings saga. I saw all the ads in the magazines and the TV guide and the commercials for this Hobbit, uh, you know, movie that was going to air. And again, it came, you know, that this was a great, great age for... Uh, for fantasy and sci-fi, I mean, you you had the stage. The stage really was set with Star Wars' incredible runaway success over, you know, from May, June, July, August, October, November. Star Wars ran. I've said. I mean, think about it. Memorial Day, Star Wars goes wide in 1977. On my birthday, on October 3rd, when I turned 10, having watched, you know. Star Wars from May, June, July, August, September. It is the number one movie on October 3rd, 1977. Something I've shared that I discovered on this podcast a while back. It still just stuns me. But so it was a good time. Fantasy, sci-fi were really taking flight. The year prior, Logan's Run tried to get something going. Fantasy was, you know, um, happening in TV shows, in, in, in movies, you know, and now they were connecting in a big way. November 27th, 1977. Like a Thanksgiving release. NBC. NBC, the same network that gave you Cheers, Family Ties, The Cosby Show, Friends, Seinfeld. They aired The Hobbit by Rankin Bass. 
Rankin Bass had some big names at the time. They had Orson Bean, you know, not known to you, but very, very noticeable, notable voice actor uh, in the heyday of 60s, 70s. And uh, the big deal was they had John Houston. John Houston was a, an award-winning uh, director and, and had a very distinct voice. And John Houston was the voice of Gandalf. And it is distinct. And the Gandalf, uh, the the Gandalf um, animation, the look of the Rankin Bass movies is very distinct. I, I'm going to tell you, I had only seen a little of Walter Simonson's work at the time. He had been doing some Hercules, and he had been doing uh, Metal Men for DC, a bunch of DC stuff. Okay, he was just starting to maybe do some Marvel work, but he had done mostly. Uh, he had done mostly. Uh, DC Comics, and and he had a very distinct style, a very distinct line and style, and it showed. I felt like to this day, The Hobbit has overtures of in its design. Uh, it has overtures of of like a Walt Simonson style. I know it's really random, but that's how I looked at it as a kid. Again, I'm I'm, look, I'm comparing art styles. It, it didn't. It it was much more detailed and stylized than your average animated Saturday morning fair or. At the time, I was seeing a lot of Disney animated movies. You know, the Robin Hood movie had come out when I was a kid where Robin Hood is a fox and Richard is a lion and uh, uh, Little John is a big bear. Loved it. Loved that cartoon. But again, it was very, it was a little more serious, a little more, uh, I'll say gritty. Okay, gritty uh, as as a, uh, you know, in, in, in its stylist, in, in, in its style. But uh John Houston, John Houston, he's got a very distinct voice. One, I, I think I mentioned uh, that he uh, had some of the movies that he's directed before. He, he's a very, very accomplished. He he did he directed a movie about the Bible, and it is great. It's the Genesis. I think I mentioned this and the R-rated nature of this when I was doing the R Crumb Bible podcast. But John Houston, I mean. Uh, just, uh, I mean, uh, hit, hit the original Moulin Rouge, the African Queen, Key Largo. I mean, John Houston is of an age, the Maltese Falcon. I mean, this guy and Humphrey Bogart, they, they made some killer, killer, memorable movies, but it didn't stop, okay? He, uh, you know, he, he directed uh, Casino Royale, the... the, the uh, Early spoof of Bond that was out in 1967. Um, he would again. These are all what you would call old movies. He he directed another fantastic Sean Connery movie called The Man Who Would Be King. Uh, as 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 it turned and he turned into the you know turned into the 90s. He did a really terrific uh, soccer movie based in the war called Victory. He directed the original Annie. 1982 Annie, which was a big deal. The casting of Annie. The he directed Pritzi's Honor uh, in 1985. I mean, he went out strong, uh, but he had a very distinct voice, and he 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 was in very uh, many films as an actor as well. 54 roles he was in as an actor because he was so distinct in the way that he looked and the way that he expressed his voice. John Huston. So he was the voice of Gandalf. Very distinct. And uh, 
the voice work, the animation work on the habit, the, the, <laughs> the habit, yes, the burger joint uh, on the Hobbit was, uh, was, was great. And it really adhered closely to the plot of the book of which I did not know because my knowledge of the Hobbit started here with this book and what it did, it drove me into the bookstore to buy all the tie-in books with the animation from the movie that was debuting on NBC. They had tons of, you know, uh, advertisements, commercials. So again, man, I was parked in front of my TV. Thank God we were well into color TVs by then when uh, November 27th, 1977, The Hobbit was broadcast. I hung on every word. I did not miss a frame. I loved it. I was in love with it. The depictions of the spider, of the goblins, and specifically smog. Smog looks wicked in this multi-hour film. Um, if I'm correct, I think it was three hours. I'm pretty sure it was a three-hour film. Um, and, uh, and, and the thing is that... Uh, that, that this really piqued my interest and I love the characters. I love the character design. Um, and, and I mean, I, I literally was, was just swept away by this thing. All the dwarves Gandalf looks fantastic. Very Walter Simonsy Simonsony. Um, I, I really, you know, it's, it's, it's really memorable and I'll tell you why I'll tell you the number one reason why it is so memorable Rankin bastard all of the pre-animation here in the States, but then they sent it to a place, and I'll just jump to it. They sent it to a, uh, uh, as, as all animation was sent, and it continues to be sent overseas, they sent it to a Tokyo studio called Topcraft. Topcraft. To Topcraft collapsed. And then the entire animation team that made up Topcraft reformed as Studio Ghibli under Miyazaki. Check that out. I mean, check that out. So the same studio that would go on to give you Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke cut their teeth giving you The Hobbit and Return of the King. And that's why they look so good. And that's why they move so good. Now, these have music in them. The Hobbit had music. They sing songs. But they're, they're fairly memorable. But like I said, the goblins, the dwarves, the spider... Um, the hobbits, the the, uh, the 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 dragon, the townspeople. When that arrow pierces smog, is 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 is. I prefer the cartoon version. Let me just put it that way. But we're going to get to it in a minute. That that some of this stuff does actually act as storyboards for what Peter Jackson eventually went on to produce. But yeah, so so studio the the, the talent behind Studio Ghibli. And you're like, well, Rob, they they couldn't have been alive. No, look. If they're animating in the seven in 1977, they are animating in 1997, which is when Mononoke is produced. It's released, I, I believe, in '99. I mean, that that their fathers, sons, you know, friends are hired. I mean, Studio Ghibli, strong backbone. They were they made up Topcraft, 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 Topcraft goes under, reforms Studio Ghibli, Miyazaki. Okay, so um. The, uh, and this wasn't the only time that they would do stuff uh, with, with, with Rankin Bass. They would do The Last Unicorn, The Stingiest Man in Town. They did, they did plenty. But uh, bottom line, uh, this Hobbit cartoon was nominated for Peabody Awards. It was, uh, you know, uh, New York Times praised it. 
Um, they, they really love the style and the look. I mean, but but I'm going to tell you, for me, I'm just, again, as a kid, I dug it. I, I, I Who's Smog? Who's Bilbo? Who's Gandalf? Gandalf is badass. Um, you know, the dwarves, the goblins, all of it. So it drove me into, you know, the bookstore, the Walden bookstore in the mall. And I was able to pick up and, uh, you know, consume all of the tie-ins because they ha- they made sure you know, that they had all of the uh, books and records, albums that we could all interact with to enhance the experience. Exactly. You know, some, you don't make the cartoon just for the money to air it. You make it, you know, in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the interest of driving, again, the, the soundtrack, the, the uh, you know, storyteller read-along edition. So um, eventually... In the 80s, this was released on, on video t- tape, video cassette, and I was able to catch it. But here's where things get weird. So, The Hobbit Airs, I dig it, I love it, I'm, I'm into it. It's very distinct. The look of all the characters is very distinct. Then, I see, heading in as the 1977 becomes 1978, you know, summer of 78, you see ads, you see, you know, the, the aforementioned Starlog magazine that I talk about all the time. Well, suddenly... You see a bunch of uh, promotions for the Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings. You saw trailers in the theaters. The Lord of the Rings. The continuation of the Hobbit saga. And you're like, wait, what? This doesn't look anything like the Hobbit that I saw on television in 1977. Coming, you know, out in 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 1978, and it, it has a very distinct, much different looking style to the entire. Uh, you know, endeavor in, in regards to the animation and the approach. Uh, and, and well, lo and behold, you find out, I mean, you, you just, you know, the eye test, you immediately go, this is, this is different. This isn't the same dudes. You know, when you're a kid, you don't know production companies. You don't know directors. I mean, again, 77, by the time that aired, I'm 10. In 78, I'm 11. I'm not yet looking at producing, directing, but I'm not, I'm not, I just, you know, not every production came with an auteur as successful or with as good publicity and profiling as somebody like a George Lucas and a Steven Spielberg, okay? Because we all knew who they were, but, you know, Lord of the Rings, it just, it just looked different. It didn't look bad. It looked great, but it looked different, okay? And so this literally comes out almost a year to the day. November 27th, 1977, on your TV screen is a really elaborate... Uh, rendition of The Hobbit. Great, awesome, really enjoyable film. In November, on November 15th, 1978, we get the Lord of the Rings cartoon. The Lord of the Rings cartoon. And you're like, wow, this is, I mean, it it just completely baffled me. Um, This is produced by Ralph Bakshi. And the, uh, I believe the, the people behind it was Orion. Orion Pictures, I believe, released The Lord of the Rings. And uh, United Artists, excuse me, United Artists released Lord of the Rings. Now, Ralph Boschke was a B-A-K-S-H-I, if I'm not, if I'm butchering it, but I, I'm, I'm saying it right. I'm just saying it, you know, it may, to your ears, if you've never heard Bakshi before, you're like, who's Bakshi, Bakshi, Bakshi. So Ralph Bakshi was an, a, a, he went on to do Cool, cool World, um, Fire and Ice, 
he is one of the, if not the most celebrated, he's in like that pantheon of top three most celebrated animators, directors, animated auteurs of all time. This is so well directed that there are absolute shot for shots in Peter Jackson's uh, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. The Dark Riders... Uh, the hobbits all hiding under the tree. I mean, it almost matches. It's like it's like I want, I, when I'm watching 2001 and when I'm watching Lord of the Rings, I'm like, this is exactly the Ralph Bakshi cartoon, the direction, and it's creepy. What Ralph utilized was a style of animation called rotoscoping. Rotoscoping is when they would, and he, and he did this all the way through with Kim Basinger, Brad Pitt, uh, Cool World, Fire and Ice. Uh, Filmation did part of this on the cartoons that I mentioned like Flash Gordon and Tarzan. Rotoscoping is when you film the subjects, you film it on film and then translate and draw over the filmed live action with line art. Hence turning the live action into line art. It's 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 a it was a very popular method around this time. And uh The Lord of the Rings only this movie only has the rights and the option to the Twin Towers and to so the Fellowship of the Ring and the twin, the the two towers. Sorry, not the twin towers. The two towers. Forgive me, forgive me for that. Honestly, honest mistake. The two towers and um, fellowship of the rings, of the ring. But so it tells all the way up to, you know, where the two towers ends. The same thing, you know. Gandalf comes over the hill with the army. They save everybody, and uh, and it sets up the big, the big finale. Um, You've got ring wraiths, you know, you've got Gollum, um, you've got, and, and so Gollum in The Hobbit by Rankin Bass is creepy. He is creepy looking. He is cool. He is creepy. He is very, very much a creature. In this Bakshi Lord of the Rings theatrical release by United Artists in no, on November 17th, 1978, one year later, I mean, literally a year later, you get this. Uh, the golem is, I thought he was less threatening, more goofy, nowhere near the absolute. There's an amphibian, a, a sinister amphibian quality to the golem that is in the Rankin and Bass, uh, version of, of, of the Hobbit. And so, you know, but again, smog, the creatures are off the hook. I think the designs are great. You, you guys should absolutely be watching these if you've never seen them before. I don't know how you can actually, I don't, maybe they're on a streaming service. I did not look into that. I, I have physical media of all this stuff and that's what I rely on. I got the DVDs in the mid-2000s. When, whenever they were released, I made sure I grabbed them off Amazon and, and got them and consumed them again. And was, It was just such a kick to watch them. The Lord of the Rings is much darker by virtue of it being directed by Ralph Bakshi. And again, stylistically, it owes nothing. The, the, the Bilbo Baggins in that looks nothing like the Bilbo Baggins. Obviously, then you're getting the Frodo, Boromir, all of the original uh, Aragorn you know, characters that weren't in The Hobbit. And Aragorn and Boromir are badass. I mean, they, they look amazing. And I really enjoy the Gandalf in the Bakshi Lord of the Rings as well. I mean, look, I, the only character I didn't love the interpretation of because I'd already fallen in love with one year prior on the television production uh, of Gollum in The Hobbit. I thought the Gollum is is is, is kind of goofy in, in Lord of the Rings. But the imagery, the the movie posters, the, the imagery, the paintings, 
uh, the marketing of Lord of the Rings was a big deal. U United Artists got out there and pushed the shit out of this. Apparently, because back she had a falling out with United Artists, they did not pursue doing anything further. Um, he he had, uh, you know, this was this was a labor of love for him, and uh, he had convinced United Artists to go down this this route. Um, and again, it's, it, it's, it's very dark. The, the rotoscoping that there, there are certain scenes like, uh, uh, when, when Frodo is infected and he is being chased by the writers. I mean, you can see visually, you can see he filmed guys on horses on blues, it, it put them on an animated like background, but the horses and the men on the horses are actors and they've just completely covered them in shadow and darkness it's a really interesting style. When you see it, you'll 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 understand what I'm saying. It, it it there is some there's quite a bit of live action footage in the Lord of the Rings movie, but he rotoscopes it. Sometimes not even rotoscoping it, just kind of plays the live action with heavy shadows or silhouettes against animated backgrounds, uh, all red, sp blood splatter, smoke. I mean, it, it, it's that kind of stuff. It's cool, um, but. Uh, Bakshi, uh, you know, went ahead and I believe in the mid 70s, 75, 76, got United Artists on board. Um, and then, uh, you know, Bakshi's ex executive with the studio got fired. And this is when things go, they always go to hell when there's a change in management. And, uh, you know, uh, th that that's where kind of everything really fell apart the studio and Ralph Bakshi and this the producer you know were, were 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 fighting the entirety of this production but it got released and uh kids like myself were there on opening night the marketing the promotions I I'm I want to continue to now take this further it wasn't planned Rankin Bass Rankin ba Bass both their last names are Rankin Bass. They, they 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 both said when asked, "Why did you do the Hobbit?" They said, "We felt it was in the public domain." There is a complete chain and a thread that you can follow where, because they believe the copyrights weren't taken care of, other book publishers started publishing Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, believing it was in the public domain in the late '60s. This led to all sorts of misinterpretation, and it wasn't until there was a ruling from the Supreme Court in the 2000s that locked up that said for like th there is no public domain of these characters they are they are in the domain of the Tolkien estate can you make a hobbit uh story that 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 convincingly you know states it has nothing to do with the Tolkien stuff and get away with it you can people have but that term is is coined and created by Tolkien but these absolute works the hobbit the lord of the rings trilogy there was a period of time ace books interpreted the law to believe that they also had the right. So the Tolkien estate was in court a lot trying to prevent exploit exploitation of a property that was believed because of copyright negligence. That's the easiest way to put it, that they had the right. So um, I, again, to even get Return of the King, which was put into production immediately after The Hobbit aired, as it was airing, they were planning to do Return of the King. When asked why they didn't get Lord of the Rings and the, the rights had already gotten scooped up, they just said that, they felt like they were telling enough of the story and then realized when the return of the king aired that 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 there was uh, rankin is is quoted as saying like we realized you can't leave stuff out or the fans will come for you is is his quote 
But for kids like me, I followed all of them. I saw The Hobbit on NBC. I saw Lord of the Rings in the theater. It was darker than I expected. It was cool. I loved it. It just ended on such a weird, unresolved cliffhanger, like Saruman. I mean, like, uh, you know, the, the, the entire, like, the threat of Middle-earth Sauron has not been defeated. He's not, like, Frodo hasn't completed his mission. At the end of that movie, you leave Lord of the Rings and Frodo and Bilbo are on their mission and you're like, am I going to see the end of this? Like, it doesn't say that there's going to be a sequel and by that time, we, because of all the press that Star Wars received by greenlighting The Empire Strikes Back, that was the beginning of, is there going to be another? Is there going to be a sequel? Is there going to be more? And by this time, people who had pursued The Hobbit had gone to the bookstore and realized, oh, The Hobbit is the beginning of a story that crosses over into these other books, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So the fact that the Lord of the Rings, not not advertised as the Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring, not advertised Lord of the Rings Two Towers, just Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings is what the movie was called. So you went in thinking you were getting all th- you were going to get all three, and instead it ends at the end of uh, two hours. So you know again. You can go online and you can do a bunch of reading about the actual detail of how much Bakshi filmed, the live action, the rotoscoping. Um, at the end of the day, he uh, he fell out again because uh, Bakshi and United Artists and their executives, uh, you know, were not in sync, and Bakshi was strongly opposed to how he viewed they were handling his movie, and. Uh, he really, uh, he didn't want Lord of the Rings to say part one. He just wanted it to be Lord of the Rings as part of the, you know, ongoing budgetary uh, scheduling. Uh, Bakshi is notoriously just, he's, he's, he's I, I side with the artist. I'm an artist. I get it. He, he had a vision. He wanted to see it through. You're going to um, clash with the suits. It's not always pretty. But at the end of the day, Lord of the Rings came out in the manner that I'm telling you. And, uh... And people, you know, dug it. It was uh, it was supposed to be made for eight million bucks. It grossed thirty million bucks, so everybody went away with money, and made it made it made a profit because the costs were kept low by the studio. They didn't let Bashi run away with the studio with the uh, with with the budget. But the uh, the bottom line is, you know, uh, one review uh, said that Bashi's valiant attempt at rendering Tolkien's magnum opus in rotoscope never quite lives up to the grandeur of the source material. Source material with a compressed running time, flattening the sweeping story, because it does. It does feel a little rushed, and then it kind of meanders. And the whole drug trip when when Frodo is on the the the, the horse and running away, being you know uh, as Aragorn is trying to 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 you know deliver him to the elves. That is like an acid trip. Backsheet did all the mushrooms and the riders and the visuals and the mixture of rotoscoping and animation is an absolute trip. But I dug it. And here's the other thing. The tie-ins for Lord of the Rings were greater than the tie-ins for The Hobbit. While The Hobbit had the records and a book and some of that stuff, there were these coffee table books. and and, and But they weren't, they weren't expensive. They were thin like... Uh, you know, they, they, they were big and they were the size of a coffee table book, but they were more like uh, the thickness of a Marvel Treasury Edition, 100 pages maybe so, or so, and they were affordable. I was able to buy them, and especially because it was Christmas, I got a lot of Lord of the Rings gifts that Christmas. A lot of the a lot of the, the art books, the storytelling books, of which there were a couple, um, 
I was just awash in this stuff, and I absolutely, once again, would attempt to draw Gandalf, Boromir, Aragorn, the, the, the writers. Really swept up in it. Completely different style, different production company. But by that point, I have absorbed Hobbit and, you know, the Two Towers, the Lord of the Rings story. But it's left unresolved. Well, lo and behold, only two years later, only two, not even that, a year and a half later, ABC, not NBC, ABC. Now, we would have gotten it even sooner, but again, there was a lawsuit. There was a lawsuit filed by, uh, there was a a lawsuit that was filed uh, by the Tolkien estate seeking to stop um, uh, the release of the the Return of the King because they felt, uh, they, they felt as if they didn't have the right to make it. But again, as with all things, as I'm telling you, you know, they settled it. They settled it and they were able to move on and move through and, and move forward. And we got uh, the return of the king. Again, great, great advertising. The, the, the ads in the TV guide, in the magazines, the the commercials. You as a kid go, hey, that's, that's, that's the same animation company that did The Hobbit. That's the same animation company that did the Hobbit um, cartoon. So, so now, and again, I didn't see this in advanced press. There was no, there was no comic book buyer's guide, and there was no comic book resources or comicbook.com. We got this in magazines, Starlog, once a month. Hey, Return of the King, you know. Hey, Return of the King, um, you know, cartoon is is going to be airing, but you didn't get anywhere near the detail. So now, what we've got is the Return of the King, 1980. Okay. It comes out May of 1980, okay? So, Lord of the Rings is in theaters in Thanksgiving, and by Memorial Day, before, way before Memorial Day, early May, early May of 1980, you know, a full year and a half, we get Return of the King by Rankin Bass. And this sums up the whole story. It, it, it ties it up, and, and I was not aware that the world was going to get this big, okay? But, I mean, it was it was cool seeing all the different you know, characters come together and Eowyn and Elrond and, and uh, you know, just the big final battle and Sauron. And again, so this airs on a Sunday night on ABC and uh, May 11th, 1980. There I am again, ready to wrap this thing up. We're back to Rankin Bass. We're back to where we started. The cool, stylistic, Walt Simonson-looking rendering of Gandalf and Bilbo and now Frodo. And again, now you're seeing like Aragorn. Whoa! So I've seen Aragorn by Ralph Bakshi. And now I'm seeing Aragorn by Rankin-Bass. And wow, now the disparities are really clear. And and Frodo looks nothing like the rotoscoped, polished, pretty... Bakshi's art is very pretty. It's a very pretty line. I should... Even though it's dark, because he does some real weirdo color schemes and throws a lot of shadows and heavy cast shadows and blacks. Boromir and Aragorn and Ganda, all everyone in the Lord of the Rings is very beautiful. Uh, uh, Elrond, um, Gadriel, they're all very beautifully rendered and, and, and pretty. Again, so then we go back to the Rankin-Bass interpretation and it's back to this really kind of Walt Simonson gritty line um, stylized, but who cares? I, I can, I, I'm good enough. I'm good enough. I can merge these. Okay. I can merge these. If, if, if you know, it, it prepared me for Christian Bale as Batman. 
and Ben Affleck is Batman, and Michael Keaton is Batman. Okay, it just prepared like okay, different styles, you know, and uh, so I watched Return of the King on May, you know, whatever May fifth, sixth, seventh, whatever I just said, nineteen eighty, and I dug it, and I dug it, and and especially when all of the tribes came together and. And then you got the big eagles and, you know, you got the all, all the elves and everybody squats, you know, uh, squabbling, um, you know, together. Are they going to band together and battle Sauron? I mean, it was cool. I dug it. I loved it. And and based and, and by by the end of that evening, I had digested all of the Lord of the Rings trilogy across two different production companies. Rankin Bass were both co-directors. They're two directors. You get Ralph Baxley. There's a third director, three directors, two production companies, Two networks and theater and and one theatrical release, and uh, I bought all of the tie-in stuff. I drew all the pictures. I love the world. Um, it was a very weird, disparate way to connect an entire saga, but again, uh, the Tolkien estate sought both times to prevent Rankin and Bass from airing their uh, their their properties. With Return of the King, a check was written. I believe they just couldn't figure out how to stop Hobbit because of the uh, disputes in regards to to this this copyright and public domain, you know, interest. And again, the public domain is tricky, you guys. It is so damn tricky. I am going to do an, a public domain episode soon. I've got now enough, a couple things have come on the radar that I was not quite expecting that, ha, that, 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 has, that is, is making it even more interesting than I could possibly imagine. So we are absolutely going to be, uh, be, be be covering the public domain. The public domain is tricky. It is really, um, you know, very tricky in in how uh, in how it what is allowed and and what is you know what is not allowed. Um, but the uh, you know again over over four years, four calendar years, I saw this incredible fantasy you know, rollout that was produced by all different manner of talent. The voice work was great. Um, the Bakshi, they're all worth seeing. The Bakshi one is so, I'd say artsy fartsy, but beautifully rendered. The direction is, there's some really inspired stuff. So there's some really crazy stuff. And if you can get any of those tie-in hardcover books, they are a blast because the, the apps, it, this is, something that I would love to have animated cells, for, you know, from. And uh, ironically, interestingly enough, what this does is this kicks down the door to discuss the long threatened thread that I have um, wanted to discuss, which is Weird World. Marvel's Weird World. Because you think they didn't notice what was going on? You think Marvel Comics, the number one publisher, and again, another Jim Shooter, you know, success oversaw this? You think they weren't going to, dive in and get some of that fantasy action, get some of that fantasy dollar, you, you better believe they were going to be Johnny on the spot when it came to soaring right in, just like one of those giant eagles and getting into that fantasy business. I'm going to get to that in a minute, but I really want to underscore, if you watch the Ralph Bakshi, especially the when the, the, when, when the four hobbits are first wandering off-road, they've left the Shire and they gather under the tree when that first dark rider comes upon the road and they hide under the tree. You will see storyboards. Peter Jackson can say whatever he wants. There is no way on planet Earth 
that the one did not influence the other. So it's very influential. Many shots across all three productions are, and you can say, well, it's all taken from the same, you know, book. Well, having actually read The Hobbit, The Hobbit is very, uh, you, you can, you can while, while there are very distinct uh, sequences that are described, you can interpret them all manner of ways. I go back to Peter Jackson directing The Hobbit, which he decided to take wild swings with and go in way different directions. So it's not just that they were adapting the same material. Ralph Bakshi is one of the most celebrated animators, artists, illustrators, directors, okay? Famously hot-headed, a lot of clashes, but the talent is there. The talent wins out every single time. And, and, and I am telling you, Peter Jackson was 100% influenced by what he brought to the table. Really interesting. Um, but again, if you were there and you were growing up and you saw it, okay, wait, I'm watching on NBC. Okay, well, wait, that's what I'm getting in the theater. Okay, whoa, 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 we're back at TV for this one. Fantastic. If you were there like me and you saw it, you know what a blast it was. And how weird that the first and last chapters of this saga are from a production company that didn't secure Lord of the Rings or Two Towers, which were then you know, released by one of the greatest animators of all time in a theatrical window. Crazy, right? So during this time, Marvel, you know, they've had tremendous success with licensing. They did 2001, A Space Odyssey. They've done Logan's Run. They've done Planet of the Apes, okay? They've they've fully jumped into the martial arts window as, as, as I covered on the podcast, everyone was kung fu fighting because Marvel went Shang-Chi, Iron Fist, Sons of Tiger, White Tiger, they went whole hog after the martial arts. Well, I'm going to the 7-Eleven one day and I see one of my favorite showcase books called Marvel Premiere. And lo and behold, it has two warrior elves uh, in the middle of a swamp as a giant dragon-esque serpent is coming out of the water. Marvel Comics, late 1977, Marvel premiere, number 38. Weird world. And what does it say? What's the blurb say? For those who thrilled to J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, an all-new ad adventure into epic fantasy. Epic fantasy has a little logo treatment. For those who thrilled to J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, an all-new adventure into epic fantasy. It says, join Tyndall's quest to the heart of evil and beyond in search of the mystic dragon's blood. Let me tell you the immediate appeal of this. First, the art is fantastic. It's by a gentleman we don't talk about enough named Mike Plug. P-L-O-O-G. Mike Plug is the go-to guy that gave you so many of the Werewolf by Nights in the mid-70s when Marvel went after the, Mar the monster dollar. He also launched Marvel did their own rendition of the Frankenstein monster. Fantastic. Both epic. Amazing. Mike Plug also did a number of Planet of the Apes uh, when they did the magazine and they did all these different um, uh, ape stories, ape in, in in the wild frontier, on, on river rafts, going over raging waterfalls. I've, dis I've discussed this in my uh, Planet of the Apes uh, dedicated podcast that I did last summer, how, how those magazines expanded the Planet of the Apes in a way that the cartoon show that was on Saturday morning and the live action CBS show and the five films just could not because the budget was unlimited on the page. And Mike Plug was one of those, uh, uh, you know, illustrators, one of those illustrative visionaries that gave us all these great storytelling. Well, he, I popped this open as a kid. I'm already sold by this epic cover. 
Weird World, Marvel Premiere, and then Mike Plug. I mean, from the splash on through, you see Tyndall. He's in a fantasy um, timeline. He meets a gorgeous elf whose uh, name is Valana, Valana of Klarn. And they are off to the races and they are battling uh, giant, uh, uh, you know, sea serpents, swamp creatures. They, um, they, they, they are uh, battling a, an evil wizard named Grithstain and they meet a funny elf named Mudbutt, okay? Um, and and that is, the, the, I mean, I just, oh my gosh, I just cannot tell you how much I thrilled to this uh, first taste of Weird World. But then, in 19, so, so this comes out in 1977, and I think the reaction, the mail, was fantastic. Because it is, as a one-shot, because Marvel premiere existed, to give you tastes of Marvel's, um, maybe I should do an entire podcast on all the different showcases that Marvel had. They had Marvel Spotlight, they had Marvel Preview, they had Marvel Premiere. You got, you know, characters that walked through a few pages of Daredevil named Paladin or Torpedo. It's where Falcon got a showcase. You got a sci-fi one-shot called Seeker 3000. You got Weird World. Okay, um, you got two issues of Man Wolf in a fantasy setting. Yes, Man Wolf, the son of J. Jonah Jameson, the the, the villain of uh, of Spider Man with a, with a sword and and, and and barbarians, and it's it's drawn by George Perez. It's fantastic. But in 1979, I see all these ads all over, all over Marvel Comics, heralding the coming of Warriors of the Shadow Realm. It's a magazine. It's a Marvel Weird World super special. It, their, their magazines that they were releasing during the time were called Marvel Super Specials. This looked different than the Weird World one shot by Mike Plug. The Mike Plug, I, I can't sing enough of the praises. It's ridiculously stylized, amazingly illustrated. And I should actually just kind of also, I was going to do this at the end, but I'll do it right now. Mike Plug actually was working on Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings the entire production of it. He went from working at Marvel on the Werewolf by Night and the Frankenstein's Monster and the Planet of the Apes and he got hired into Ralph Bashke's studio. So this guy comes circles back after doing all the production work because by the time this weird world, weird world Marvel Premiere 38 is, is arriving, his work's done. He's done his characters. He's done his storyboards. He's done all of the, um, you know, the pre-animation work with, with Ralph Bakshi. So not only is this a Lord of the Rings spinoff, it is done by talent that is giving you this amazing Ralph Bakshi 1978 Lord of the Rings animated film, okay? So so Mike Plug, there there's an exceptional one sheet of all of the characters from Lord of the Rings um, that Mike Plug illustrated with all of the uh, on-model with a slight tweak of Plug's style. Plug was very influenced by Bernie Wrightson and they shared influences, but he was a little, he could go a little more, not cartoony, that, that's, that's to slight, that, that slights the entire endeavor. It's more, uh, Mike Plug, it's just a little, little, um, he simplified, I think, a lot of the things that Wrightson did so well. He certainly didn't weigh it down with the exceptional rendering that Wrightson excelled at. He kind of, but they, but they shared an approach to drawing people, environments, and Mike Plug. I don't say his name enough. He's really in the realm of fantasy, 
um, sci-fi horror monster art. He's not a superhero artist to the fan base. And he's fantastic. And he's still around. He posts on social media. If you can find him and follow his work, he's fantastic. But this Warriors of the Shadow Realm, it was, it was like a next level, okay? It was like a next level. Well, let me read you the, the preface to this Warriors of the Shadow Realm magazine, the Marvel Comics Super Special. It says, a weird world epic. In the unlikely event that this is the first page you have opened in this magazine, let me tell you what's in store. To understate the case, you hold history in your hands. Without a doubt, Marvel Comics, with this and the next two issues of Marvel Super Special, sets a new tone for graphic storytelling, a new level of excellence in color reproduction, and new standards for comic book storytelling. It is interesting to note how color has been associated with many of the important advances in the history of comics and cartoons. Courier and Ives, before the Civil War, excited the American public with the novelty of colored cartoons. Each of their prints was hand-colored. A hundred years ago, Puck Magazine was the first weekly to feature colored lithographed cartoons. In 1896, R.F. Outcult's strip, The Yellow Kid, became the first newspaper comic book in color, precipitating a new American art form and the term yellow journalism, among other things. And in the mid-30s, it was the addition of color to routine 8.5 by 11 reprint books that ushered in the age of the comic book superhero and the new fantasy literature of American youth. I mean, you think they're excited here? This is exciting. And uh, so uh, the, 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 to, to continue, the, uh, this editorial that, that, that is at the first page on this Warriors, Warriors of the Shadow, Shadow Realm so he's really touting the color, and I'll tell you why. We would like to think that the color package you hold in your hands is the next logical step in this historical progression. That extraordinary care, that extraordinary care has been taken from the inception of this story, designed for color to meticulous printing, should be obvious, and it is explained in the article section later on. But hey, what if you're colorblind? Don't get the impression that we see World World as merely, merely a bunch of pretty colorful pictures. You're in store for an absolutely enchanting tale filled with adventure, intrigue, romance, and humor. Get ready for a whole world that's been created, a history, a geography, a population of, well, the weirdest group of people, dwarves, elves, wizards, sorcerers, warriors, and creatures you will ever see between two covers. And this is just the beginning. This particular tale, Warriors of the Shadow Realm, will run over 100 pages in three issues of Marvel, of Marvel Super Special. You'll get more... Th- You'll get more three-page foldouts, bonus posters, interviews, and an illustrated history of the fantastic illustrations and, of course, eye-boggling story and art. If you think this next step in comics history should be a prognicator rather than an interesting aberration, let Stan Lee know all your enthusiasm. After all, we're doing this to serve you, your readers better, serve you, the reader, better, and tell us if we're on target. Read on and have fun. Richard Marshall is the editor. So here's the deal. They hired John Buscema. You know John Buscema, if you listen to this story, this this uh, podcast, is on my Mount Rushmore of comic books. He is one of the, if not the best, illustrator to ever touch comics. Not imagination-wise and storytelling, that's Kirby, but figure illustrator, faces. He, he did 100 issues of Conan. He did Avengers, Silver Surfer, The Thor. He often... Followed Jack Kirby, and he had um, all manner of different references. Um, among them, Frank Frazetta, Hal Foster, some of these great illustrators. He 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 drew fantastic, beautiful figure work, and his storytelling was second to none. 
this book opens with a um, an elf on the run, and uh, oh man, it is so exciting. The 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 vistas, the landscapes. John Buscema took this on, knowing full well what was going on in the fantasy space, and he wanted to differentiate from all the work that he had done, whether it was Silver Surfer or Conan, the Avengers, Thor, all the work, the Fantastic Four, everything that I've shared with you guys. He's balls to the walls here. In the magazine, I encourage you, while Marvel reprinted all of this recently in the last couple of years, they, the original magazine, the Marvel Super Specials, okay? 11, 12, and 13. I saw these advertised, okay? I didn't come across them until we were on a road trip in 1979 to New Mexico. I caught the first one. Then later that summer, we went up to Solvang in Northern California, and, uh, and, and I caught the second one. And then it seemed like it took forever for me to finally get the last chapter, but I did. Magazine size, they did a special uh, printing so that John Buscema would do three and four page pullouts. So you'd get to a section of the magazine, like when they enter this one evil wizard's lair. He says, uh, come enter. Uh, let's see, what, what, is, what is this cat's name? Zarthon. When they enter Zarthon's lair, it is a multi-page pullout. It is like... And, and I mean, John Buscema was, it literally looked like he was trying to do Bernie Wrightson-esque rendering. And he is finished by an excellent artist in his own right, a, a finisher, a, a, a terrific Filipino talent named Rudy Nabris. And uh, they made for the most powerful imagery, but they brought in an airbrush artist, a guy who was an a, a, a excellent airbrush illustrator in his own right named Peter Ledger and they had this great section in the back of the magazine where they showed you that John I mean they literally go step by step and this is also reprinted except it's just so much smaller in the trade but they go step by step and share with you John's pencils Rudy's inks and then how Peter Ledger would take the line art and then on a separate illustration board he would print the line art out in a clear plastic acetate and he would, on a blue line, do full rendered paintings, airbrush special effects. This thing is sick. The art in this alone. But I'm going to tell you, uh, just like Peter Jackson, they were 100% completely inter uh, 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 very much influenced by what was going on with The Lord of the Rings. So much so, so much so, that uh, there's a version of the Dark Riders in this. There is, it's one of those impressive, oh my gosh, I can't believe, multi-pullouts of, uh, the, they, they're called the Five Riders, okay? Instead of the Dark Riders. And uh, they're on these demonic looking horses with these, they are wearing these green hats and capes and they are amazing. But the goblins, the the dwarves, the uh, Tyndall, um, and, and, uh, Tyndall and Valana, they are beautiful, even though they're like elfish. There, there is no one in here truly who resembles Conan. J John Buscema went all out with the, the dark wizard. There is definitely a dark wizard like Sauron. Um, there are the dark riders who are the five riders. Um, Zarthon himself, uh, I, I don't want to give too much away. You, I'm just flipping through it again. There is a Gandalf looking dude called the... Um, <laughs> the innkeeper who transforms into a Gandalf-like figure. 
But again, imagine Lord of the Rings, published by Marvel, drawn by John Buscema, uh, Doug Mensch, who is a great writer who who did Moon Knight and uh, and and he he uh, I'm blank and Doug is uh, Master of Kung Fu. He was the super scribe on Master of Kung Fu. Um, he fantastic. I I I I followed everything Doug wrote, even though I'm blank, blanking right now. But he was definitely in that sci-fi fantasy um, martial arts space that Marvel was utilizing. Weird World is fantastic. Tyndall and Valerna and Mudbutt and Zarthon and the Elf Tribes. These three issues where, again, Warriors of the Shadow Realm is how it was marketed on the magazine. A Weird World saga would be the blurb. The art is magnificent. Marvel, indeed, uh, these stand alone. Tyndall and Valerna are... are the model sheets for them uh, are such that they stand on their own. They don't look like Bilbo or Frodo. Um, Mudbutt is unique. Again, you've got Mike Plug laying down the initial designs, then John Buscema coming in, expanding the world with this, you know, 90-page epic with all of these incredible, uh, unbelievable, you know, uh, multi-page pullouts, posters. They gave you a map. They, they show you everything. Warriors of the Shadow Realm. And this battle and this journey that they go on is, it is truly lives up to the description of epic. It is beautiful. It is some of John Buscema's most inspired work. I think he was at a place where he'd be like, I've said everything I can say in the superhero space. I've done my galaxy, you know, spanning Silver Surfer. And now fantasy seems to be a big deal. I mean, the Hobbit was all the rage. You you knew The Hobbit was being made. It was coming on TV and you knew Lord of the Rings was in production and Return of the King was to follow. So it's a four-year period. A four-year period in the end of, at the end of the 70s, okay, that people knew like fantasy, 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 okay? The fantasy dollar was big and again, following the sword and sorcery bend that they had gone on when they pursued Conan, which turned the sales of Marvel around again prior to Star Wars, their most popular uh uh, license my sword and sorcery my very first sword and sorcery podcast because I've been covering this over a period today I combined it with the Lord of the Rings you know the first at bat the the animated Lord of the Rings saga and weird world is 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 what you're weird about what you will read about when you see the description of this episode but I cannot tell you uh that th there are giant white wolves battling giant bats. Um, again, all manner of different creature under a John Buscema who is having the time of his life. He was born to draw these amazing creatures, these fearsome bats, these crystalline structures, these warrior elves. I mean, th there is like when Tyndall and, Val and, and, uh, Volana and Mudbutt are attacked by this kind of, uh, they look kind of like a, how we, how we would see like Mohican Indians merged with elf tribe um, in the third chapter. The second chapter is really about their encounter with Zarthon and his betrayal. And, and the first chapter is just collecting all the characters as they are being pursued by the five riders as they try and make it into town uh, with Mudbutt and, and, and kind of uh, save the day. But man, John Buscema is a peacock. He is strutting. Rudy Nebrez and, and Peter Ledger and his, his, exceptional airbrush work. That's why that editorial is what it is when I read it, read it to you. They knew that they were doing this new 
film separation of plates. They were shooting from the line art and the airbrush underneath. And they're literally, this comes out in 1979. Nothing looks like this, okay? So nothing looks like this. They introduced World War, Weird World with the big J.R.R. Tolkien blurb in, in Marvel Premiere 38. And then they pivot and they come right at you with this Where's the Shadow Realm? Because I think I think the, the, the reaction to Tyndall and his world was so um, extreme that they had to follow it up. Now, this was not the end of their adventures. In the 80s, they would go on to be in Marvel fanfare. There would be further adventures of all these characters. But, uh, you know, Marvel has their own. Should they choose to animate or do a live action of this, the designs, the characters, if this is the first time you're hearing about Marvel's weird world, um, cool. I hope you check it out. I know that a couple years back, I think, was it Jason Aaron or somebody took a shot? They did something with Weird World. I checked it out. It just, this is, it just didn't hold the candle to John Buscema at, at his absolute artistic pinnacle with Rudy Nabriz. Again, a, a brilliant artist in his own right who went and did the ink polish over John's powerful line work. And he, even in the trade, you will see they meticulously show you all the different stages because they knew the art on this book was really special. Special enough that I have a Warriors of the Shadow Realm Weird World Deluxe portfolio that they released at the same time through a company that did portfolios that you saw the ad in the magazine and I ordered it. I have it. And each of the giant pull-out plates that I described to you that were three or four pages are are their own separate portfolio plates in this beautiful giant 11 by 17 envelope with the plates. So Lord of the Rings, wackadoodle cartoon release, Rankin Bass, Baxchi, Rankin Bass. I love doing this because it's so funny. NBC, theatrical, ABC gives you the entire saga. Marvel goes, hey, fantasy, we're on it. Let's, let's, let's devote our best people. Mike Plug, John Buscema, Doug Mensch, Rudy Nabriz. Let's get Peter Ledger, this um, incredible airbrush painter, to come in and 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 paint, what well, I, I keep saying airbrush. Let me, let me let me scale back. He painted it. Warriors of the Shadow Realm is hand painted. They shot from the paintings, put the line art over it, and it is rich. It is wonderful. If you can order these in their magazine size, you will be doing yourself the best favor possible. This was the age of fantasy. It was kicking into high gear. It would set the stage for everything else to come. The Conan movie, uh, you know, Krull. I mean. It, Somewhere between what was going on with Star Wars and you go, well, 30 million bucks isn't a lot for an animated feature. It actually was. It was a lot. And that's just in the United States. Um, again, all of this, the Bakshki, Lord of the Rings, the Rankin-Bass, Hobbit, and Fellowship of the uh, uh, Return of the King are all have been on DVDs now for quite some time. It's all consumable. It, maybe even Warner Brothers bought them and packaged them while the Peter Jackson movies we're in their full thrush of success. So, you guys, very exciting time for fantasy. Marvel jumped on it. They bit on it hard. I've done Sword and, Sword and Sorcery really blew up in the 70s. This is as, as the 70s was ending, and we were moving away from Fafford and Grey Mouser, which I, I've covered in my other Sword and Sorcery podcast, where DC bit down hard and, and did all manner of, uh, you know, stalker and, and all, all manner of different... Uh, you know, uh, fantasy comic books to capitalize on what Marvel was doing with Cull, Red Sonia, Conan, three titles for Conan, 
But then we pivoted and we got into the magical, mystical, more fantasy realm, away from just the barbaric stuff. It, it really went into fantasy. And you'll see it if you pick this stuff up or if you watch these animated shows. There's so much more than the excellent Peter Jackson films, which, come on, there's, 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 those films are fantastic. My favorite will always be Fellowship of the Ring. It's my, I love the coming together of the Fellowship. I love their first battle, them getting to know each other. I love Boromir, Boromir's fate. That, that's the stuff that always really stuck with me the most. Um, obviously, I think Return of the King is just amazing spectacle. Um, Two Towers is some people's favorite movie. I mean, that, that final battle is epic. Uh, look, those are fantastic. But what came before was equally as impressive. Terrific animation. I mean, come on. The animation on Hobbit and Return of the King is by the people who would establish Studio Ghibli. Okay? So this has heavy pedigree. All of it's super talent. From Mike Plug to John Buscema to Ralph Bashke to Rankin-Bass, Studio Ghibli. This thing was wrapped. The, the, these these fantasy adventures that I'm telling you about are wrapped thick with some of the best talents. These weren't, weren't no names or people they were taking a flyer on. These are the big dudes. These are the, the big talents and they delivered. This work is great. So my long uh, threatened road down Weird World, I finally did it with a nice kind of pre-scoop, pre-helping of... Uh, of Lord of the Rings. I hope it all jammed and gelled for you. All of this stuff is worth checking out. You will absolutely dig it. Uh, it, it the, 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 the Warriors of the Shadow Realm magazine. I get excited. You can hear it in my voice. I can hear it because these were road trip like, like magazines too. I mean, when I discovered Marvel Super Special 11, the ads, you know, the, 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 the Marvel did a really great job of running banner ads, full page ads, and their other comics and making things really desirable. And as I've told you, the newsstand distribution at that time was so crazy. You have to go to four different stores, a liquor store, a drug store, a 7-Eleven and a food market to get everything that Marvel was publishing because nobody carried the same thing or all of it. And uh, so, so, so to find finally on a road trip that summer, where's the shadow room? Oh my gosh, it's a magazine. Oh my gosh. I mean, I think my parents were just so happy to have me in the backseat because we, we drove a lot of places. The Liefelds, again, not rolling in the dough. We drove, we drove to Arizona. We drove to Nevada. We drove to New Mexico. I loved all of it because there was always a bag of comic books right next to me in the backseat. Um, and I was always able to consume and read and take them to my hotel room and just just get lost in all of this great storytelling and art and, art and illustration. And uh, those Warriors of the Shadow Realm between the New Mexico trip and then the Monterey, uh, uh, Santa Barbara, uh, Solvang trip, getting the second one was just like, oh my gosh, you, you didn't get art this good anywhere. So there you go. Bit down hard once again on fantasy. A little little different than sword and sorcery. A lot more sorcery than swords. Um, but you guys should check this out. And again, what what a blast. Man, do I love sharing this with you guys or what? Uh, emphasis on the what. You guys know that at the end of every episode, I read the reviews that you guys leave, leave for, for me and the show, which is so important because we need them. We need them so bad. We thrive on, uh, on the... the uh, the, the love that you guys give us, we really do. You are so generous with, um, with, with all of the, the, the stuff that you guys share with us for us to share. And, uh, I'm just so thrilled that I'm able to, uh, you know, again, sh share what you guys love. So, so, um, the, the, uh, the, 
review today is from Daniel Perrin, P-E-R-R-I-N. Every comic book superhero fan should listen to this. He gives us five stars, or she gives us five stars. I fell in love with the superhero genre in the 80s and especially in the 90s when Rob was one of the kings. Learning from him and his upfront experiences, the behind the scenes of how iconic stories and characters were made answers so many questions that we've all had. I really love how he can detail what in the 60s and 70s inspired the future. While citing references, Rob teaches us how the genre was built and who were the creators that shaped it all. He's a legit fan, hyping so many rock star creators. He's got me subscribing the DC and Marvel apps that go back and follow the great runs that shaped it all. Wow, okay, I didn't pre-read this. Danielle Perrin, thank you so much for this. Thank you for, for giving that. Danielle Perrin, wow. Um, this establishes everything that I want to communicate with this show. I'm so thrilled. I do. I want to tell you who the world builders were. And again, today's, you know, it, it, it so predates Peter Jackson. I mean, 2001, we're starting here in 1977. And when you get something released, that means the work on it was two to three years earlier, 74, 75 to get this stuff before you in 1977, 1978. And, uh, again, if you want to go Google and follow all this and, 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 and read on it more depth. That's all out there. But but if you're hearing it for the first time, that is what my passion is. And if I don't talk about it, it's seemingly falling into the cracks. You know, this stuff isn't... It used to be that we went to the blockbusters and we went to the different st- stores and there were sections and that's how we saw everything. And now, depending on how everything is divvied up amongst the streaming, you know, platforms, who knows if you'll bump into it. But that is my passion, Danielle. I'm so glad that you responded to it. Thank you so much. You you truly touched me. You guys, we need your um, support with the reviews, with the rankings, with the stars, with the word of mouth that is so important to the continued success of the show and staying, you know, in the rotation. Thank you so much. Keep it up. Thank you, Danielle Perrin. I am all over social media. On Twitter, I am Robert Liefeld, at Robert Liefeld, the full name. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld, both have blue checks to tell you that it's really me talking to you. I love talking to you. You guys share great things with me, stories. Um, uh, uh, we, we tell tales. We, we, we exchange thoughts, uh, analysis. I am so always happy to, to promote and share things with you guys. So, so those are two ways to communicate with me on Twitter at Robert Liefeld on Instagram at Rob Liefeld. I'm all over Facebook. We have a Rob observations with Rob Liefeld page on Facebook. So check it out. Go there, leave a comment, leave a like, um, comment on the individual episodes as we post them. We love it. Thank you so much. I will find my way back to those comments and, and, and talk with you, um, all over. I, I have a page on Facebook. I have groups. I have a Rob Liefeld, uh, uh, extreme group, uh, the, the, my, my Rob Liefeld, uh, profile page. I'm all over in the group, sixties group, seventies groups, planet of the apes, Logan's run, star Wars, action figures, you name it. I'm there. Uh, the groups made Facebook work for me. So, Hey, check me out. This is the time of the show where we agree. We're going to take care of each other. It's, 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 it's twice weekly. We do this. It's a pact. Take care of yourself. Get, get the rest you need. Uh, get the entertainment, get, get the relaxation, relaxation, get the expression, hang out with a friend, draw a picture, write a story, sing a song, listen to music, read a comic, whatever it is. Take care of yourself. Um, more, more now than ever. And, uh, and absolutely positively, we're going to stay safe because we got to make it back here where we are going to talk again real soon. (laughs) 